listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, this is Lawrence Coletti, producer for Legal Talk Network. I'm here at the Legal Tech West Coast Trade Show in the Weston Bonaventure Hotel in Los Angeles, California. I'm currently in our recording room with Casey Flaherty. He's the corporate counsel for Kia Motors, and he joins us today. Uh, he actually was uh, part of two speaking events at the conference, so very busy. The first was David versus Goliath, How Small Firms Can Steal Big Law's Work. And the second was Innovative Solutions That Facilitate Discovery and in Government Investigations. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So how did the events go? Was the speaking engagements, uh, were they good? Yeah, they went, they went well. Uh, happy to see this show growing again. Uh, there was a period there where I think many of us were worried that it was uh, going to go the way of the dodo, but the the committee and the organizers have uh, really started to bring it back. Well, that's that's great. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I think uh, legal tech is something that uh, is good for the the law community, and I believe that the information, especially since we've been attending, is very informative, and we love to share it on our network. And, and speaking of which, you're actually a returning guest to Legal Talk Network. Um, I have it on good authority that you were part of Law Technology Now with Monica Bay when she was hosting, and the Kennedy Mile Report with Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile, and one more just for good measure, the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Jim Calloway. Yeah, for some reason, uh, people do actually enjoy uh, speaking to me. I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, my wife is even more confused. Uh, she can't believe that people voluntarily uh, listen to me talk. But apparently I still have uh, enough to say that uh, I'm worth worth listening to. Uh, but I'm not sure how long that will last. <laughs> well, it sounds pretty good here, uh, Casey. So let's start. Uh, you had two speaking engagements today. So which one would you like to, to hit first? We've got David versus Goliath and then the innovative solutions that facilitate discovery and government investigations. Uh, well, let's let's go with the, the second one first uh, because it's uh, so much sexier. Uh, innovative <laughs> s- solutions with the, an e-discovery, uh, government investigations. I mean, th- those those things together are, are just have lots of sex appeal. <laughs> uh, it's interesting uh, because most of the innovative uh, solutions uh, are not very innovative, uh, and uh, they're really not even that uh, technological. Uh, the thing about government investigations is uh, that they are so such a different dynamic uh, than the normal adversarial relationship you get in commercial litigation. In commercial litigation, there is a there's that urge to uh, walk in with both middle fingers extended uh, from day one uh, and uh, get into the uh, macho posturing. My dad's bigger than your dad, and he can beat him up. That is absolutely the wrong attitude to take uh, with regulators. When you have an investigation, it's like getting pulled over by the police. Yes, sir, no, sir, uh, or yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, goes a long way in establishing uh, the proper rapport. Uh, Then you can suss out uh, what the problem is, uh, whether you have a taillight out registration, uh, whether they mistook you for someone else and you shouldn't have been pulled over, you were texting while driving, whatever it was, the yes sir, no sir uh, will give you the space to figure out the problem because if you immediately take an adversarial posture towards the regulator, they have a lot of discretion and a lot of authority to make your life uh, miserable. And even if they didn't have a good reason for pulling you over, they're going to find one. Uh, And then it's your word against theirs. So the innovative solution is... (laughs) to 
establish good rapport, to be conciliatory, to be deferential. Um, it doesn't mean to just say yes to everything. There is a time to say no, sir, or to try and uh, have a discussion about uh, whatever the issue that arises. But uh, the, the main point is that you really have to, from the outset, define your relationship uh, with the regulator, understand uh, what their agenda is, what they're trying to accomplish, and not be unnecessarily combative. Gotcha. So the, the, the basic idea being is that, uh, you know, be respectful, but you don't have to exactly just give in to, to everything, but you, gotta, you have to do it in a way that makes sense legally. Yes. Well, and so again, it's yes, sir, no, sir. If they've pulled you over for a broken taillight and they want you to admit to drunk driving and you're not drunk driving, you don't say because, just because they're pressuring you to admit it, oh, yes, I've had way too many. Um, it's more of you try and explain to them, no, and I apologize for the taillight and I'll get it fixed. Um, but I didn't do anything wrong. This was just a, this was just a mistake. Um, and again, establishing the rapport at the outset, when you're handing over your license and registration, I know I'm straining this analogy too far, but is, is very important for being able to explain things later and have and really understand why you why you're in the position you're in vis-a-vis uh, -vis the regulator um, it doesn't mean that they have uh, complete uh, power over you uh, but they have there's a dynamic there that doesn't exist in the civil litigation context and that's the context that most lawyers uh, come from especially uh, e-discovery. Okay. Now, I think that's a good place to start. Uh, you're talking about the innovative solutions and, and we're talking about uh, facilitating discovery, but what we haven't talked about uh, a little bit is the government investigation. So uh, on the panel uh, where, you, where, you, uh, where you touched on, what type of government bodies are we talking about? Well, uh, Patrick Oot, who uh, set up the panel and came from the SEC, and then my co-panelist, John Davis from UBS, any all of the uh, financial oversights, the new uh, Consumer uh, Financial Protection Bureau, as, as well as the SEC, and then, of course, uh, the DOJ. From my perspective, it tends to be the EPA, uh, NHTSA, and uh, state attorneys general. Okay, so these were universal solutions to, that would help someone that's in a situation with any one of those regulatory bodies to, to react to? Well, so the establish a good rapport with, with the investigator, the regulator, it is a universal solution, but we did also go into the, the differences. Know, know who you're in front of. Different bodies have different budgets, and they have different agendas, they have different priorities, they have different mandates. And they also have different institutional cultures. And knowing the regulator um, is an extension of establishing that good rapport. And you deal with them um, differently. Uh, one thing we talked about was the use of predictive coding uh, when dealing with the DOJ's antitrust division. They are very public in terms of their positions on uh, predictive coding. You should understand that. Um, you should actually be proactive in the use of predictive coding because they're very amenable to it as long as your proposal is, is reasonable. But there are other agencies 
where the pe- people you're dealing with may never have heard those two words before, not understand them and be very uh, resistant. So knowing your regulator is a constraint on how innovative you can be and understanding what what solutions you can offer that will actually be accepted because you can be as innovative as you want. Um, if your innovative solution isn't accepted by the regulator, you have a problem because unlike, again, the civil litigation context, it's not often that you have a third party, a judge, to whom you can turn to adjudicate a, a disagreement. And at the end of the day, what you want is to strike a deal, is to get to the end of the investigation um, with as little pain uh, and bad p- PR as possible. And so getting to adversarial can have a lot of repercussions beyond just what the regulator will try to do to you within their own domain. So sounds like uh, you need to, to know the adversary. Well, I guess it, adversary might be a little bit of a strong, uh, a little bit too strong of a word, but 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 know the know the regulator. That I think that's message takeaway number one that I have. And then uh, two, um, who do you who do you communicate with? Well, I mean, once this happens, obviously this the, when you're talking about regulatory bodies and, and agency laws, this becomes you know a very specialized uh, endeavor uh, for anybody that that becomes subject uh, to these inquiries. And so um, I guess uh, as a takeaway for, for a lot of the participants at this particular event, what is the first step when they receive a complaint? Who do you call first? I think the, the first person to call is really the, the person who's going to be handling it for you. And it depends on the size of the business, whether you have someone internally uh, who does it or whether it's outside counsel. For most of us, it's outside counsel. And the person you want to call is someone who actually worked inside that regulator and hopefully the specific division um, that you're dealing with. Uh, because, again, it, it starts not with the, the technology but with the human uh, and understanding who the humans are on the other side. And your best insight into that is someone who knows them, someone who can talk to them, uh, someone who can... Uh, not only speak their language, but can actually call them on their cell phone because they're friends. And it's normally not quite like that. Obviously, you have to keep your your professional distance, but there's absolutely no doubt that there's an ability to communicate um, that exists between former colleagues that no outsider can mimic. Well, I think it's a good place to, to switch over to the your I guess your your second speaking event, the David versus Goliath: How small firms can steal big laws work. What was the what was the general message there? The general message there was that technology is making people less and less important from a labor perspective. Um, that there are a lot of problems that used to be solved through man hours um, that can now be solved through technology. And to the extent you think that is the case, um, and it's not true everywhere, but it's true in in some places, then the size of the law firm doesn't matter because you don't need them to have a deep bench and to keep throwing bodies at an issue. What you need is expertise. And expertise can reside anywhere. It can reside with a, a single person. The anecdote I told was and again, I do not care if it's apocryphal, is Charles Proteus Steinmetz was one of the most underrated geniuses of 
of the last century, famous for his work uh, in mathematics, uh, physics, but primarily uh, around this newfangled concept of electricity. And Henry Ford bought some generators and was having some problems with them. And so they sent Steinmetz out. And he sat there, looked at the generators and asked for a cot, a pillow, some room temperature water, a pencil and a pad of paper. And he remained in front of that generator for 24 hours, pacing back and forth, laying down on the cot, uh, looking up at the sky. And then he finally called out to someone uh, for a ladder. Uh, he, uh, Steinmetz was actually uh, both a, a dwarf and a hunchback. Uh, he climbed up the ladder and uh, took, a, took out a piece of chalk and drew a line on the generator and said right there and then it was either remove a coil or put in a coil or separate the coils or do something like that and then he left and they did it and the generator uh, worked perfectly thereafter and Ford was very pleased until he got the bill which was for $10,000 that was a lot of money at the time figure $100,000 now Steinmetz only spent 24 hours on it and so Ford sent it back saying that he wanted an itemized bill he, he, he wanted it broken down into, you know, charges for each of the things that Steinmetz did, kind of like a billable hour. And Steinmetz obliged. He sent back a bill, um, chalk, $1. Knowing where to draw a line with chalk, $9,999. <laughs> and that's really ultimately what we're looking for in our lawyers. Now, there, there are people who are still going to have to disassemble the generator and put in the rods where they need to be. Uh, but it's more about the person with, with the chalk and to the extent that technology allows those people to leverage themselves without the overhead of lots of people underneath them. You're now in an environment where small law firms can compete with large law firms for the same kinds of cases. Uh, and not all of them. There are still cases that require lots of bodies, but uh, a much larger percentage than than used to be the case. And so that's David versus Goliath, this idea that the the small firms have a competitive advantage, the David thing being being nimble, not being weighed down by their armor, not being huge and and oafish, um, and also being a doing things unconventionally. And that was the tenor of the discussion. That's an interesting viewpoint, and, and I think that's one that uh, that reflects a lot of the downward uh, billing pressure that some of these large firms are getting from their clients. You know, they're beginning to to go to a midsize or even in some cases a highly specialized small firm for some of their needs. And so, it's a really interesting point that you bring up is, is technology replaces a lot of the the man hours uh, that used to be thrown at a problem. I, I wonder what that does for the, the public persona, or I guess the, the public perception of the value of an attorney. And I like your example with Henry Ford. Seemingly from the outside, Henry Ford looks, you know, you spent 24 hours on this problem. Yes, we did get a solution, but, but really, how, how did that come to be? You drew a line on your generator with some chalk and then sent me an invoice, and I don't understand the value. And I think that's the bottom line. If, if this, the processes are automated, will the client understand the value? Oh, I actually think that it will move us to a realm where the reality is more aligned with the perception because 
for most lay people, when they think about lawyers, that's what they think about. They think about Michael Clayton as the fixer. They think they think about Tom Cruise and a few good men. You can't handle, uh, you know, I want the truth, uh, grilling Jack Nicholson. Uh, they think about all of these TV lawyers who are largely doing it uh, based on their own uh, brilliance as opposed to the reality of most young lawyers, which is sitting in a room for 14 to 18 hours a day hunched over a computer doing drudgery, which is why when they survey uh, young professionals, associate lawyers are the most miserable of of anyone uh, because their perception of what it was to be a lawyer and their reality are so misaligned. To the extent technology can displace a lot of that drudgery, you're actually going to have more of an alignment between the perception and the reality. What we as clients are going to have to wrap our minds around is that we're going to be charged based on value as opposed to time. And time is a very familiar metric. It's a very easy one to understand. It's a very easy one to measure. Uh, value for all it its advantages is not is not nearly as quantifiable is not nearly as um, amenable to uh, a kind of rote uh, a rote process for determining what one should spend and that's that's an enormous uh, enormous challenge um, and I think client uh, preferences and the real ones not the stated ones uh, are a, a huge part of why people have been declaring the billable hour dead for decades. And it's not that it comes back to life because it never died. So in summary, and uh, this will be my last question, in summary, uh, what were your three biggest takeaways? And I realize I put you on the spot, but what were your three biggest takeaways from this, from this speaking event? First is that people really are interested and engaged and the demographics aren't necessarily what you would expect. Legal tech skews older than you might think, largely because the digital native is a myth and that fluency and facility with technology isn't, a, isn't about age or innate talent. Um, it's, it's more about choices, uh, what you choose to learn. Um, and the thing about lawyers is when they choose to learn something, they're, they're very quick on the uptake. Second is that things change slower in the near term than you would predict, but much faster in the long, over the long, medium and long term than you expect. Uh, I've been coming to these for almost a decade now. And in many ways, we're still talking about the same things, but at the same time, we're talking about a lot of things that didn't even exist when I started. So social media in many respects did not exist the first time I came to a legal tech. And now it is a, uh, a huge point of, of discussion. And so, and yet oftentimes I feel like I'm trapped in uh, Nietzsche's eternal recurrence when you hear the same kind of discussions happen over and over again. And separating the short-term trends or the eternal intractable topics from the, the actual changes that have occurred, that's, that's, a, that's a big challenge. And 
third is that there is uh, new blood. For the first time in a long time, walked around the showroom floor, and it really wasn't the, the usual suspects. Uh, I am used to not just hearing about the same topics, but seeing the same people and the same companies selling the same kinds of services. It used to be completely e-discovery dominated, but there's been a lot, a lot of diversification in terms of the kinds of companies that, that come, and there's, uh, there, there has been new blood, new ideas, people trying to do things uh, different ways, and, and that's very exciting. Well, that's great. So I wanted to thank you for joining us today. And if our listeners or attendees of Legal Tech West Coast would like to get a hold of you, how, how may they reach you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, at uh, DKC Flaherty. Uh, I am also on LinkedIn, DKC Flaherty. Uh, both of those ways are quick and easy, and uh, I don't think I've ever uh, rejected a, a request uh, for a connection. All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.